Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world, especially in the time now of coronavirus. And today we're joined by Kat Cora, who is somebody that's all about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. Kat is a chef, an author, a restaurateur, a TV host, uh, probably most importantly, a mom of six with her wife, Nicole. Uh, our producer, Woody, has six kids as well. They're in a um, small club. I've only got three. Uh, I don't know how you guys do it. Um, Kat is also the first female iron chef that goes back to 2005. She's opened 18 restaurants. She does so many things. Um, one that's been especially interesting to me and one of the ways that Kat and I have known each other over the years is because she's president and founder of Chefs for Humanity which works on hunger and nutrition education. Uh, and Kat, uh, this is may, may tax your memory, uh, but we got to travel to Haiti together right after the earthquake. Um, and I got, I got to see you in action. Do you remember that? I do. Oh, I can't, I'll never forget it. It was such a profound trip and we learned so much and we were able to do, I feel like we were able to um, make a difference in some small way. And, we, uh, we had a good group of people there from all walks of life that went with us in this entourage. And it was just, I mean, I will never forget that trip. I still talk about it to this day on many things. I use it as an example of the philanthropy that I know Chefs for Humanity and Share Our Strength have done. And it was just, uh, yeah, that was an incredible trip. Well, and in a place as desperately poor as Haiti, yes. uh, you really see how the work that you do and that we do can really be a life and death difference kind of thing, right? That's not just kind of casual philanthropy. Uh, that was pretty hardcore, especially in those few days after the earthquake. That was extremely hardcore. I mean, I, you know, the things that stand out for me are, you know, the fact that, that it was so, there was so scarce of food there at the time. And we had, there was, you know, thousands and thousands of people in these 10 cities because, you know, their homes were demolished by the earthquake that, you know, it, it was, people were eating dried mud cakes and to fill themselves with some kind of nutrient. And to me, that has, I think that affected me more than anything. And I've carried that with me through all of my work and also through all of my life to remember that, you know, which is, um, you know, something that is so, um, you know, in our thoughts right now that less can be more and uh, how little so many other people have in the world. Some, you know, devastating times. Yeah. And when you talk about eating, dry mud cake. That's not a euphemism or a nickname no. for something that is literally dried mud that we saw shaped as like pancakes or biscuits. Mm -hmm. I think they called them biscuits even that, uh, that people were eating and there was nothing in it, but, but mud, I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was pretty shocking. And I think that that's, you know, what we both find. And, you know, one of the things that I, why I started Chess for Humanity is that, you know, you, there's so many places in the world, whether you're going through a you know, a, a natural disaster like we did through Hurricane Katrina when there was an abundance of food because so many, you know, restaurants and uh, hotels and resorts had gotten just completely, again, blown away by this hurricane, that there was just so much abundance of food that we could use for the betterment of people in shelters. And then you go to a place like Haiti or you go to a place like Guatemala or Ecuador, places that, you know, and there is zero food. And so it's really um, calls upon you know, share our strength and folks like yourself, like you and Debbie and what you started in 1984 and going back so far and doing so much good in the world. It really calls on, you know, our strengths um, to be able to bring some kind of relief in those and just dis distribute food the right way and to be able to uh, 
you know, use our call on our strengths to to bring some kind of relief to people. Well, what we're living through now, Kat, with this coronavirus crisis, maybe may as close to you know what you and I saw in terms of life and death type situations. Obviously, given the the fatality rate in the United States from this virus and the fact that for the first time in any of our lives, the entire world is literally shut down. Um, it's changed everything for Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. And um, I, I'd love to just kind of describe for you the way it has, but then I want to hear how it's it's changed things for you and your work uh, as well. And in our case, um, you know, the entire No Kid Hungry campaign had been focused on the belief that childhood hunger in the United States was a solvable problem, that we, that kids in our country weren't hungry for the reason that kids around the rest of the world were hungry, not war or famine or drought, but really poverty and the um, failure, our failure to connect, connect kids to resources that exist. We have no shortage of food or food programs. So we'd been all about connecting kids to meals through the school meals programs. These were federal entitlement programs reimbursing schools 100% for the cost of food. So it was this just great opportunity to use, to use philanthropic dollars and have them um, have this really powerful multiplier effect so that our dollars unlocked these hundreds of millions of dollars in each state of reimbursed school meals. And we'd be paying for staffing and refrigeration and so forth. We added millions of kids to the school meals programs during the No Kid Hungry campaign. And we actually started to see six months ago, I would have said to you that you know, we are on the cusp of not ending poverty or ending hunger in America, but we're on the cusp of, of, of ending childhood hunger, not in the next six months, but certainly in the next few years. Now, coronavirus changes all that. All of our schools are closed. 20, more than 22 million Americans have lost jobs, probably closer to 30 million by the time we're having this conversation. Uh, massive unemployment, uh, massive economic dislocation. And, and everybody's hungry. We're seeing lines at uh, schools and at food banks where they're feeding people that uh, stretch miles long. And so we're back in the business of providing emergency food assistance, but also funding schools to do alternative meals outside of schools, uh, grab and go meals, that type of thing, all through the, through the No Kid Hungry campaign. And we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future. So it's, it's really changed everything. And I imagine that uh, as we get closer to the fall, when schools start to reopen, they're going to reopen very different ways. You and I are used to seeing kids in school cafeterias. We're not going to see that anymore. They're going to be eating in the classroom and the classrooms are only going to be half filled. So for us, it, it's you know pre-quarantine, pre-COVID versus post, it's changed everything. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about for your life and your work, uh, how it's how it's been felt, what's happened to your restaurants, what's happened to your employees, what's happened to your own family. Well, I mean, first I want to say, you know, what you guys do for No Kids Hungry is, I mean, unbelievably, I see it in our school system here and all of our kids go to public school. Our school system, what you've done for kids in America and the No Kids Hungry campaign has just been um, a game changer. It has pivoted so much. It's become a new paradigm. And I just am, we're all so grateful to all the work that you guys have done. And it and it, one, the first thing I thought about when it's really interesting, the first thing I, one of the first things I thought about when um, we did have the school closures is how are these children going to get fed? These children that depend on that every day. And it really has been, um, I knew that you, you guys were, you're going to be right on it. You're going to be right on how, how do we do, how do we make this work? How do we do this? And you have, and I think it's, 
you know, I'm here to do anything and help you in any way and, you know, gather resources and, you know, anything you guys need help with. And I know that you are just on the, I didn't know that you were on the cusp of about to be in the next few years, um, you know, getting ahead of this, you know, getting ahead of kid, you know, um, child hunger in America. I think that that is so commendable because of all the work you've been doing this in 1984. Yeah. 35 years, nothing if not stubborn, but you've exactly, but you've changed that. It takes time and you have changed the faith of what, you know, hunger in America for children, especially in school systems looks like, and you've changed that for the better in so many ways. So, you know, I just want to say thank you. And I know that everyone out there listening is applauding you because um, it, I know the labor of love it is. And I know how much work it takes to um, to help change this, uh, the landscape of hunger in America and around the world. So that's been really amazing. Like I said, you know, we're all here to to do whatever we can to support um, No Kids Hungry and Share Strength. So you know that I've been around Thank you. and supporting you guys for as long and we'll do anything we can. Um, and, you know, to answer your question about what's going on in our industry, as you know, I mean, I have 18 restaurants. They're all shut down. We have one restaurant that's um, still operating in Santa Barbara, our burger restaurant that's, you know, we're only open for pickup um, and take you know, delivery. And we're only doing that as a community service um, and to hopefully just, give some relief to our employees that want to work. They have a choice and um, we're not forcing anyone to work, but it's to provide meals also for the front lines. We're donating meals here as well. Um, so uh, to people in healthcare and to other people that are on the front lines and working every day to just keep us, keep some kind of semblance of movement going on. So um, we're doing that. But and Kat, how, how are you able to pay for that? You know, we are we are inching by. It is like we are using any reserve we have. We have definitely applied for the CARES Act. Um, we are trying to. We're losing money. We're 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 we are losing money by doing that. But we are any reserve that we have had to continue to pay employees is gone. But we have definitely lost everything. And as far as any capital we had, anything that we're doing, we're really just trying to, uh, you know keep the doors open for the community. And we're hoping that we'll get the CARES Act. Um, we've applied for every possible loan we can possibly get. Um, we've applied for the CARES Act. So we're hoping that that will come through. It hasn't yet, but we're, we're always praying that it will to help uh, employ people and um, get people, you know, some kind of relief. So it's, it's devastating. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and, and the vendors to pay our vendors, you know, we have vendors that are, we owe money to. So, you know, look, everybody is on unemployment. Everybody is struggling in America right now and all over the world. God, how many employees did you have? We had about 60 total. We had, uh, we have two restaurants that are open. We have one that's, um, you know, was supposed to open in Montecito. Um, employees total, we have, I mean, wow. you know, thousands all over, you know, through 18 restaurants. So we've, we've had to lay off everybody. All of our airport restaurants have closed. All of our restaurants internationally have closed. So it's really been devastating, as you know, to the hospitality and restaurant industry. We've been hit especially hard. And, um, you know, it's going to look very different when we resume life. As you said, with schools, it's going to be exactly the same way with, you know, any restaurants that open. And it's going to be a, a very long time for recovery. It's going to take a very long time. I would say a year to two years to really fully recover. Yeah. And I've heard some restaurateurs, cats say that, you know, they're going to slowly reopen their restaurants. I've heard others say 
they're starting for, from scratch. They're in startup mode again. They might start with one restaurant and then go to two or three. How are you thinking about it, Will? Uh, or is it even too early to know what what your uh, you know business footprint would look like? Yeah. You know, for us, it's really too early to know. I mean, it's really dependent on each, you know, our airport, airport restaurants, it's dependent on each airport because they're in very different cities. So every city, every town, every um, everywhere is different. They have different protocols. They have different timelines. And so it's very hard to say um, when each one of them will open and what it's going to look like and what procedures will we put in place. Obviously, it's going to be very different. I think there's going to be a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of restaurants that won't recover from this. Um, that's why it's so important for um so much support needs to go into small businesses because they really are the the quilt of American hospitality. I mean, that's what really keeps us, this country going is the small, you know, mom and pop restaurants, the small businesses is what keeps America going. And we depend on those. And I think that that is why it's so important that some of this first monies and this relief goes to those businesses to keep it, to keep them, to keep them afloat. And to get them through that. Um, my dream is, you know, always to feed people. I love hospitality. I want to make people happy. And we're going to never give up. I mean, we're going to just pivot. We're going to change our, you know, the way we do things. Um, and we're going to get through this. We're resilient. I know that, you know, as, as devastating as it's been to the restaurant hospitality industry, you have some of the most resilient people as well. So we've all been through a lot. Um, and uh, we will all get through this. But I will. I do fear that there's going to be some of these smaller businesses don't get some relief from the government um, and some of this bailout money that they're not going to recover. What's it been like for your family personally? I think, you know, for us, listen, we were on the road, you know, way more, three times. We were on an airplane three times a week. We were so, Nicole and I were running at, you know, nonstop speed. And we also were, you know, we're, we were here at home. We have six kids. Obviously when we're home, we're present and we're home. So, you know, professionally and personally, we were we were running at you know a high octane, and so I think for us, this has been a real you know nice recalibration for our family. I will say that's the silver lining is that we've all been able to be together. We've been present. You know, we were homeschooling six kids, so we've become you know we've put a lot of hats on, put it that way. You know, and we're homeschooling, cooking, cleaning. You know, um, doing every single possible thing you could be we could be. And, but more importantly, we're just present. And I think that for the first time ever, I haven't been this pre been able to be home this much. I would say since, you know, I went to college, I would really say that. I think since I graduated from high school, went to college, I've never been able to be home as much as I'm home now. And I'm so happy to be home with my family and my wife and they were all healthy. Thank God. Um, we're all, I'm so grateful for that. But it has been, I think this is a really, um, I really, what this is teaching us is this is a human recalibration. You know, this is, uh, you know, we're recalibrating the world. The earth is taking a breath. I think people are taking a breath. We are more authentic than we've ever been. Um, we're all, you know, at home when we're on meetings, you know, we're on Zoom meetings. We have our kids in the background. We have our dogs barking. We're, you know, we're in our, we're in our you know, sweatpants. We're, yeah, it's, it's like we are, we all are forced to be real as real as we've ever been. And I think that to me, that is, you know, there's no grandstanding. There's no, 
Uh, we're all on a level playing field. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I think that we needed that as a society. Yeah, I've, I've also been a, you know, a three or four time a week uh, flyer. And, uh, uh, you know, I envision the day when I'll get on a plane again, but I'm not sure I envision a week where I'll do it three or four times in a week. I kind of, you know, developed this new appreciation, as you've described, for uh, just living a, a different way. And we're obviously we're going to have to be agile and entrepreneurial. And I think we're starting to realize that there, you know, although Zoom can be annoying if you're on it eight hours a day, um, there are some advantages that, you know, might save some of the wear and tear. I feel like I've gotten a lot of my life back um, compared to what it used to look like. I, I agree 100 percent. I think that when we go back, you know, Nicole and I have already been talking about what is our strategy for going when we resume life again, because we don't want it to look like it did. Even though we have a beautiful life, it's like, and we're very, we're very successful. We're very happy. Um, but it's at the same time, we do need to have more time for each other, for family, for just slowing down. And we realize, I think that, and I think we're all realizing that, yes, things can be done differently. The good thing is this got everybody up to speed and how we can do that. You know, yep. yes, you can do a Zoom meeting. You don't have to jump on a plane to to be in front of someone you could do a zoom meeting and everybody can actually take a break and a breather for a minute um we've also realized that you know we don't always have to say yes to everything we can say no to some things and the world isn't going to crumble around us and that we that less is more that we can actually we don't need as much as we think we need and i think that those have all been really great reminders of just living life living your best life and um you know, uh, and appreciating your family because at the end of the day, the success, the this, the that, the running, um, you know, the on the hamster wheel. At the end of the day, the family, your family, is what's most important. And I think that that's one of the things that's taught us in this time, um, and uh, just to be present. I and mean, probably like you, uh, there's never been a period where our family has had three meals a day together for you know 50 days in a row it's so true and that's why i started quarantine cuisine and that i do at 5 p.m pacific time every day i wanted to you know i i was standing there and this i started this way before i think this i was one of the first people to jump on ig live and start instagram live and start a show because i, I was standing there in our kitchen we were cooking dinner and i'm like we, why you know, there are people that are out there that have never had to cook very many meals during the week they may not be comfortable doing that you know, we've gotten used to ordering out. We've gotten used to the delivery at home or going out to eat and not being in our own kitchens and not building memories around food with our family. And I said, well, we're doing that now. So why don't we, there's got to be a lot of people out there that are, that are, that are having a struggle with that. Now they're cooking three meals a day, seven days a week. That's at least 35 meals a week that they're having to cook now in their own kitchen and figuring out how to do it. So why don't we be of service of, you know, this will be our small part that we can, you know, we can be of service to the world and let's start this. We're going to be doing, we're cooking dinner anyway. We might as well share it with the world and we could be a hotline to give advice and tips and, you know, share recipes and connect with the world. And so that's why we started quarantine cuisine and it's just been, you know, so, um, you know, we're teaching people how to cook on a budget. We're teaching people how to cook with shelf-stable items like rice and pasta and beans and canned goods and frozen goods and frozen. Use your freezer more. And you know, making things stretch on a shoestring budget that we all have now. And um, you know, I think that it, we've, you know, I think that it's been really freeing for us. It's been liberating. We've had um, friends on, you know, friends from all walks of life coming on and talking about their life and and how it looks now and um, what's going on in their industries and been able to vent 
you know, their emotions and feelings and what is this teaching us? And I think it's been super, super cathartic for us and also for the, for the people that are, that are following and watching, because I think it's something that, you know, can be entertaining for people who know how to cook and can be a huge help for the people who are struggling out there that are having now be forced to cook for their family three meals a day and seven days a week. So, I mean, it's just been really, uh, it's been really cool for us to do that. Kat, say a little bit more how people find and follow uh, Quarantine Cuisine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they can come on. Um, I'm on 5 p.m. Pacific time every day, five Monday through Friday live on my live Instagram. They can just, you know, follow me. They have to jump on follow me and they'll be able to, you know, come right on and see the show. And then on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, we tape, we pre-tape a, a show and we so that we can have a weekend off with the kids and we pre-tape a show. Same time it airs, 5 p.m. Pacific time, Saturday and Sunday. So that's awesome. You know, and we wrote, we post, we repost everything live. So they can also go to my website at catcore.com and see the show as well if they missed it. And so were you, were you just literally uh, in the kitchen with Nicole one, one day and said, let's start putting this on? Yeah, we really were standing there. And this was way before I have to say, we've been hardcore quarantined. You know, we are, we really have not gone out. I mean, for two and a half months now, we really haven't gone out. When we heard this hit, we were, we immediately, we're like, we're, we're in, we have too much to lose. We have six kids. If, if one of us, um, God forbid, gets sick, um, the whole household will, we're going to put everybody. So we, we quarantine pretty hard and we only go out unless we need to get, you know, from something from the pharmacy or that's it. I mean, other than that, we're pretty, we've been in. And so, um, you know, it's been one of those things that we really were standing in the kitchen. And so we started this two and a half months ago. So 10 weeks ago, we started this and we said, listen, we're doing this every night. I mean, we were probably the second night in of quarantine. And we went, she looked at me, she goes, we have to cook dinner for everybody. Can you imagine what is happening in people's homes right now? Everybody's on lockdown. They've never had to really cook for their family this many times a day. We can share this with them so that it makes it easy for them at night at dinner time when they're exhausted from homeschooling all day and cooking and cleaning and laundry. And, you know, we should offer this as our small part in the, in the help you know, to find a solution here. And so we did. And we started it, we cranked it up and we've been doing it ever since. That's awesome. We've started growing food here, which we've never done before. Uh, one of the things we were looking to do was to, you know, keep uh, our 15 year old son active and engaged uh, in addition to his schoolwork. So early, early on when it was still okay to go out, we went to Home Depot and we end up building a garden box and we, at the store, we could not find any arugula. So we're growing our own arugula, spinach, <laughs> kale. And, uh, you know, it's just a whole new thing. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll do it for the rest of our lives. Why wouldn't we? Oh yeah. And I think that those are the things that we are going to, we are going to take. I hope that we, as a, as a society take with us, it's like, we can cook it. We can cook at home. It's okay to cook at home and not call Postmates. It's okay to cook at home. And we got this, we can do this and actually get back in because what you're doing is, listen, our kids are living their best life right now. They're out of school. We're homeschooling. They're home all day. They're homeschooling. They're, they get to do it on their own time. And listen, we are the, we are, you know, we, this is a chance for parents and families to build memories, food memories for all of our children and, our, and for each other. And so I think taking advantage of this moment to grow herbs and tomato, we're doing, we're growing up some cherry tomatoes and herbs and things. And I love that you guys planted a, a garden box. This is a great time to be building memories. Kids will never forget this moment, not only because we had this pandemic, 
um, that that has never happened. And I know you and my life, our lifetime has never happened. I don't think in my parents' lifetime either. Um, but also because everything was turned upside down and school was out, you know, after only a couple of months, you know, and they had the whole, you know, they're learning where food comes from. They're respecting it. They learn how hard it is to put food on the table. I think everybody's going to come out of this with a great appreciation of how hard it is to, to make a meal. Um, and, uh, but also embrace it and say, I got this though. Well, Kat, one of the things I want to make sure we cover uh, a couple of things really, um, before our time runs out, um, a lot of folks know you from TV. They know you from your books. Um, but tell us a little bit about how Kat Cora became Kat Cora. Cause, uh, as I remember, you started out wanting to be an actress. Uh, I think you, you know, you, I think you, uh, had a sense of how powerful those platforms forms can be and how fulfilling they are. Uh, but how do you get to have a restaurant empire? Well, it's interesting because I did start off with that dream. And I think that, you know, when you, when I grew up in Mississippi, I grew up in a Greek household in Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi, which was, you know, amazing because I had incredible cooks around me on in various from Southern cooking to Greek cooking to Mediterranean. And, you know, I grew up with a, you know, my family had my godfather had restaurants. I was very close to my godparents. And, and Kat, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to ask you because I love Greek food. Are there a lot of Greeks in Mississippi? I never put those two together. It's interesting because the first white tablecloth restaurants were opened by immigrants, Greek and Italian immigrants, mostly um, in Mississippi. And I think a lot of people don't know that. So a lot of there's not a lot. I wouldn't say a huge um, population of Greeks, but there are there is a definite um, strong population of Greeks in Mississippi and along the South. I think a lot of, um, like my grandfather who came through Ellis Island from Scopolis, which is an island in Greece, um, where we still have family, um, by the way, he came through Ellis Island and they, a lot of people, a lot of immigrants settled in the South because of the fishing industry. He was a fisherman. So to the fishing industry, you have the Gulf coast and because it was, uh, a let, a, you know, an inexpensive place to live. And it was, you know, fairly easy to get on your feet in a place like that. And you could open a restaurant and he did. He started restaurants and then my godfather had restaurants. So I kind of, I think it was in my DNA. Um, and so it was a very, I went to college first. I got a degree in exercise physiology and nutrition, which I've used to my advantage with my platform and health and wellness um, as a chef. And then I ended up going to, I met Julia Child, who directed me to the Culinary Institute of America. And she became a mentor and I was lucky enough to get to know her before she passed away. Um, ironically here in Santa Barbara where I now live, but um, that's where she, she lived out her life and, um, and then went on to cook in France and a couple of um, two three star Michelin restaurants there and did apprenticeships and came back to New York and then, you know, came out to California. So I think that, you know, even though, you know, I had, I've always wanted to be an entertainer in some way. I always, you know, I dreamed of being an actress when I was a young girl and, you know, my way through entertaining people was through food. You know, I always saw the rest, a restaurant as a way to, you know, really bring comfort, entertainment, hospitality to people and um, nurture people in a way. And you nurture people through all those things, making them laugh, making them smile, emotion. You know, food is all about that. And so um, that was my way in to entertaining. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been such an amazing, it's just been a sweet journey ever since. Well, you know, and the more we talk about Mississippi, the more I hear it in your voice. I mean, I know it's always been there, but, uh, as we talk about it, I, it's, it's now ringing loud and clear for me. Yeah. And, uh, and in terms of your path though, what was the first, uh, 
kind of pivot to food? I think literally, um, I think it was when I met Julia Child. And well, I, I really loved when I was 15. Um, I knew that I really wanted to have a restaurant. I didn't know what that really looked like. I just knew I wanted to be a part of that world. That's what I knew. And that was ingrained in me. I went on to get a college degree. You have to remember this was back in the 80s. That was way before Celebrity Chefs. That was way before any food TV except PBS, which of course was Julia and Jock the Pan, who we just had Jock on the show as well. And um, that, that's who I watched growing up in P, um, PBS. And that was the only idea of cooking and chefs that I that I had growing up in Mississippi. None of this existed. None of the celebrity chef existed and all of that. So that was way pre all pre all of food TV. And um, so I went to college first to get a degree to have something to fall back on. I haven't used it yet, except I have used <laughs> health and wellness in my cooking. And um, and then I think that uh, it really was when I met Julia in Natchez, Mississippi, before I went to culinary school and I was had graduated from college already. I went there with my mom and my grandmother and I met her and she spent some time with me, talking to me, giving me advice. And she told me, you should go to the Culinary Institute of America. It is the Harvard of culinary schools. You need to go. And I signed up the next day. And that is really history. Wow. <laughs> that is rest of history. It, it was from Julia Child giving me advice and I took it and the planets aligned. And it was really, really what my path was. Truly my path. Incredible. I mean, what an opportunity. And, you know, when I think about others who have been similarly influenced by Julia Child, you just get such an appreciation for what a force she was, obviously. Um, Absolutely. Kat, um, as we talked about at the very beginning, we got in, we first traveled together to Haiti because of your work uh, with Chefs for Humanity, which you are the president and founder of. Tell us a little bit about uh, its work. Well, I mean, we really, um, when I started Chefs Humanity 16 years ago, it was, you know, when the tsunami hit Asia and um, I was already doing, you know, I grew up in a very philanthropic house. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a school teacher, but they always, even if they had zero money, they always gave back of their time of whatever they could do. They were always giving back. And I also from Julia learned, you know, the one thing she told me, she goes, whatever you do, pay it forward, whatever you do. And I've always had that, you know, philanthropic spirit. And so I've, was, you know, at the time I was donating my time a lot to different charities, to different causes, whether it was care.org, World Food Program, American Red Cross, you know, um, share strength, whatever it was, you know, UNICEF. And so at the time, um, there was no, believe it or not, back 16 years ago, besides share our strength was definitely around, but there was, you know, there were no emergency feeding relief organizations that were, you know, chef driven, really. I mean, it was jumping in, going to the front lines of any tragedy that happened and feeding people. And there was not, there might've been a couple, there was, but they're chef driven. There wasn't really anything. And the chefs were coming to me and say, what can we do? We want to, we want to help, you know, and her, you know, whatever happens, what are you doing for the tsunami? We want to get involved. And I, at that time I realized, you know, we, I, I, I need to create something. I need to create something for emergency feeding relief. And that was really my first initiative. And we were then president when Hurricane Katrina hit, we were there and we brought in, we were working on the front lines um, with the law enforcement and first responders. And we were feeding thousands of people and people from Food Network all flew in and, you know, some of the, the talent from there, the chefs, they all flew in and we, and we got them into the front lines and we started feeding thousands of people. And 
you know, working throughout the night 24 seven. And so I, I realized there was a need, there was a big, big need for that. And then we, you know, again, you know, we were, we went to Haiti together. We were, I worked with the World Food Program with Chefs for Humanity with in Ecuador, Guatemala, here in the U.S. Um, with Michelle Obama. We kicked off when she, um, when President Obama became president and she was first lady. She did uh, several initiatives. One was Let's Move, which was all about child obesity and getting kids active in public, in schools and getting kids active in general. And we helped kick that initiative off with her and also Chefs Move the School, which was about chefs moving into school and helping public school systems and feeding programs and, you know, um, working with Share Our Strength and, you know, and people like yourselves and your organizations as well that were so involved in child hunger to kick off those initiatives. So we've been involved in many, many different initiatives and we really more are our human resources and we, 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 you know, donate money through Chefs for Humanity a lot to other charities we have, I know, to share our strength. We, you guys are, you know, you're some of the first people I come to when we want to kick off an initiative or donate money. I always, we always think of you guys first. So it's things like that, that we're able to do right now. We are, you know, we are here to serve more than anything else and, and to be an outlet for um, raising money for other charities and, and really calling in contacts when we need things done. Now, you're, you're involved in so many great causes. It's hard to kind of uh, separate them out. But there's one other that I know that you're passionate about that um, I was just learning a little bit about as I was uh, reading up on some of your latest, and that's the Women's Empowerment Culinary Internship Program. Yes. Well, we started that a couple of years ago where we are bringing in a, you know, a, a, an aspiring chef to be embedded with us for a week, like really come in, you know, being, put her into um, whoever qualifies and whoever we choose, who we feel like is, is, you know, so passionate and we bring her in and we teach her tools. We give her a job in our restaurants, in the front of the house. We teach her front, back, what we do in our business um, day to day, how to become an entrepreneur, how to become a, a female business owner, um, all of the skills you need to um, to go out there in the world and, and to really um, find your path. And I think that that's something that has been really successful for us that we've, we're really proud of because I think that we've really empowered a lot of young women to go out there and follow their dreams. Well, what I love about what you're describing, uh, and I'm sure this is the reason that we connect so strongly together, uh, but it's true of, you know, quarantine cuisine as well, is it's really about sharing the strengths you have, right? It's just like you're standing in the kitchen. It's like, we know this stuff. We can do this. The entrepreneurship that's embedded in the women's empowerment uh, program, that's stuff you know that you can share. So you've, you've, I mean, you're just such a great example, Kat, of somebody who's found many different ways to, to share the strengths and the talents you've got and to do it uh, for a, a common good. Thank you, Billy. I, I, you know, that's what, that's really the goal. It's not, you know, we, the only reason we want to get up and do this every day is to share, like you said, to share our strength, to share our expertise, to share our skills with people, to give them a quality of life that we have. And, um, you know, that's really our ultimate goal. And if we can make some people happy and we can help people out there right now, especially during this time, which I know is scary for people and certain. So the best way to learn more about all the stuff you're doing is I'm assuming catcora.com. Yep. They can just go to the website and um, you, they can sign up for the newsletter. We send a newsletter out every week as well. And they can sign up for the newsletter and they can get recipes. They can get tips on how to, you know, um, 
again, right now, cook on a budget, what to use, what are shelf-stable products, all the things that they need to learn about helping them get through quarantine right now and through this uh, through this time right now that is is so hard for and so such a challenge for so many people. So they can get help there and resources and yeah, absolutely. And then tune in at five p.m. Pacific where we're cooking dinner every night. Okay, you can eat as well as Cat, Cora, and Nicole and her six boys by tuning into Quarantine Cuisine on Instagram Live. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. We're here for you guys. We're here for No Kid Hungry. We're here for Share Our Strength anytime you need it. And I know we're doing, we're also um, doing a t-shirt sale and a mug sale for you guys as well. So we're donating proceeds of our t-shirts. Hashtag Fork the Virus. Fork the Virus. I love that. And uh, we're going to get through this. This is all about wearing that t-shirt, being strong and, and proud that we are resilient and we're going to get through this. So hashtag fork the virus t-shirts and mugs. We're selling those and the proceeds are going to go to No Kid Hungry. So Those are all, all on the website too? Yes, they're all on our website and I think they're going to be up on your website. That's great. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Um, and so for more about what we're doing with the No Kid Hungry campaign, uh, No Kid Hungry org. Lots of information about our response to uh, COVID-19. Uh, lots of information about how to find the programs that we're funding and that we're granting to, and of course, also how to donate. Um, and particularly information about if you want to also be involved from a policy point of view, if you want to write to your member of Congress, uh, if you want to reach out to your governor and urge them to adopt policies that make it easier for families to use their SNAP benefits or easier for schools to be able to feed kids and families without all the restrictions that usually apply uh, during the school year for uh, programs like school lunch and uh, school breakfast. All of that information can be found at nokidhungry.org in addition to ways to donate and in addition to fun ways to support us like the Fork the Virus uh, t-shirts and mugs that Kat was talking about. Um, Kat, Cora, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this conversation. It's been uh, long overdue. I'm glad we were able to catch up with each other and just so grateful for uh, the work you're doing in the community. And as I said, for all the ways that you find to share your strength and make a difference for people who are at home trying to figure out how to navigate this, um, you're, you've got one really good set of answers. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Billy. Thanks so much to you and Debbie too. And I admire all that you're doing. You and your teams are doing so much for the world. So thank you so much. We're so grateful. Thanks. Well, thanks for mentioning my sister, Debbie Shore. She usually gets to do this podcast with me, or at least often does. Uh, we've been separated because of uh, coronavirus, so it, we haven't quite been on these together as much as we would like to. But for all of the team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign, and for Kelly Griffin, our producer at District Productive, Paul Woodle, uh, thanks everybody for listening. You can go to uh, Add Passion and Stir. Uh, .com and find previous episodes. You can rate us, rank us, subscribe, and share this. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull.